0: Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, evangelist TJ Malcanji. Why you must be a soul winner and seven biblical motivations for soul winning. I want to read this out of the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 7. This is not a very common story, but it is a very uh, pertinent story as to what I'm about to discuss today. 2 Kings chapter 7, this is what the Bible says. I'm in 1 Kings, let me skip over the 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 7, beginning with verse, let's start with verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we'll die there. If we sit here, we'll die also. The enemies of uh, Samaria had besieged the city and so nobody can get in or out to reap in the crops. So there was no food. There was no water. They were starving. And so these four leprous men said, why are we sitting here until we die? Finally, they get up, they get the courage to go out and they saw at twilight, When they looked over the Syrian camp, to their surprise, nobody was there, for the Lord had caused the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites. And the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent, ate, drank, and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also, and went and hid it. Then listen to this. Verse 9. They said to one another, so they just, they, they, they started to discuss amongst themselves, why are we going to sit here until we die? We, we might as well do something about it, we're already lepers, so if we starve here with the people, we're going to die anyways, if we go out and they kill us, we're going to die anyways, we might as well at least try. They go out, they see that their armies had, the armies of the enemies that were opposing them had scattered, and so... They start to gather all the spoil of war. Finally, one of them, do- it dawns on one of them, and they said, Hey, this is not good what we're doing. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we remain until morning light, some punishment will come on us. So let us go and tell the king's household. You have four lepers who the Bible says, when they saw the good news, That the armies of their enemies had scattered. And God had wrought a victory for Samaria that day. For Israel. The Bible says that they felt impelled within themselves to go and tell people about this good news. Now their good news was a temporal victory over their enemies. We have the good news Of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ, that Jesus has triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. And those who are literally starving in depravity because of sin, starving, held in captivity, held in bondage, not by a visible enemy like they had, but an invisible enemy called sin and Satan, who the Bible says comes to steal, kill, and destroy and the good news is, is that the invisible enemy, who's a very real, though he's invisible, doesn't mean he's non-existent. He's exist, he exists, and he's, he's, he's felt, and his effects can be felt. And the victory over him has been won by what Jesus did at the cross 2,000 years ago. And for us, if they had that compelling spirit in them, urging them to go and tell people, how much more should we have this urge This this fervency to tell this lost, dying, sighing, crying humanity that the penalty for our sin has been paid. The prison cell that has kept us in captivity has been opened and our freedom has been bought by the blood of Jesus. And so far too many times, what do we have? We have Christians that remain silent. We have Christians that have this amazing this amazing gospel, this amazing message, this great news, and we, we just sit on it. We sit here until we die. We sit here until we get to taste heaven ourselves. But we do nothing with the gospel message. And I want to tell you something. When you are saved, it is not by works. We're not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not our works, it is the gift of God. Howbeit, Paul says to the Philippian church, after you're saved, you are to work out your salvation through fear and trembling. Meaning there's something we must do after we are saved. Not to earn our salvation, but it is a genuine works that comes from genuine salvation that has been done in us. When you are supernaturally saved, when there is a genuine rebirth of the Spirit, when there is a, what they call in Titus, a regeneration of the human spirit, things change. I don't know about you, but when I got saved... I wasn't the same after I got saved from when before I was saved. When I got saved, everything changed. There was a transformation. I was someone who didn't like people much. I didn't want to be around people much. I had my core group of friends, and that was it. When I got saved, there was like a fire burst in my belly that I had to tell people about what Jesus did for me. It wasn't an option. There was this urge. Paul said it this way. Woe is me. If I don't preach the gospel, he said, woe is me, meaning death is me. If I don't preach the gospel, he says in Romans chapter nine, remember Paul has been vehemently and violently persecuted by Jews up until this point, everywhere he goes, they're following him and they're trying to demolish and destroy the work that God's trying that God was using Paul to employ and to do on the earth. Everywhere he went, he had he suffered fierce opposition from the Jews. And yet in Romans 9, he says, "I would that I myself be cut off if it meant my brethren according to the flesh being saved." That's a man who had something different on the inside of him. Before he got saved, remember, he hated people. He killed, he murdered Christians. He brought them bound hand and foot before the high priest to have them stoned and persecuted publicly. He had no desire to see people in right relationship with God. After he gets saved, the Bible says, he's in Romans 9, he said, I would be cut off. If it meant me going to hell, but more people going to heaven, I would do it. That's a heavy statement. That is a very heavy statement. He said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel. Remember, Israel's not a friendly for him at this point. Israel is an enemy, really, in the flesh. Israel, Jews are, 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 like I said before, they're, they're following him from town to town, making his life a living hell on the earth. And here you have Paul saying, that my heart's desire for them and my prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. He never gave up on Israel. He never gave up on them. He never gave up on them. And so what was different on the inside? What motivated Paul to be like that? Before I I get into the seven biblical motivations, I want to go through a few quotes that I I was reading the other day and they they struck something in my spirit. Number one is a quote by Isabel, Isabel Kuhn. Isabel Kuhn who was a missionary in the 1800s. And she wrote, I believe that in each generation, God has called enough men and women to evangelize all the yet unreached tribes of the earth. So it is not God who does not call. It is man who does not respond. I'm going to repeat that. God has called enough men and women in every generation to reach that generation. It is not God who does not call; it is man who does not respond. This lady saying, "In every generation that has ever lived since the gospel uh, actualized, since Jesus rose from the dead, there are enough people God is calling to get His work done in that generation, so that nobody in that generation." should die without hearing the gospel at least once. It's not God that's not calling people. It's not God that is allowing people to die without hearing the gospel. It is man that is not responding. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he penned these words. He said, not called, you say? I don't feel called. Not called? Not heard the call, rather, you should say, Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come here. Then look in the face of Christ, whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him, whether you will join heart, soul, and body in marching to publish His mercy to this world. General William Booth says, you don't feel called? No, it's that you've not heard the call. Many are called, few are chosen. Who are the chosen? Those that have heard the call and have decided to take on the baton of the gospel that has been relayed down through the generations and carry it to this present generation. He says, if you hear... He said, put your ear down to the Bible and hear the agonized cry of humanity. See the depravity of sin in others. He said, put your ear down to the Bible and hear Jesus bid you go and pull sinners out of the fires of hell. And then when you hear that call, I want General Booth says, I want you to look into the eyes of Jesus, whose mercy, whose salvation you proclaim to have, and tell him you won't go. Tell him you're not going. Tell him you're not, you're not interested in that. It's impossible. after having encountered the mercy of the Lord, it produces in you something that desire that you now have a desire to see others encounter that same mercy, to encounter that same peace, to encounter that same healing power, to encounter that same God that you you declare to have encountered. James Stewart said this: the concern for world evangelization is not something that we tack on to a man's personal Christianity as something he can he can take or leave as he chooses. It is rooted in the character of God who has called to us in Christ Jesus. Thus, it's not the province or the province of a few enthusiasts or a sideline of specialty of those who happen to be bent that way. It is the distinctive marker of being a Christian. James Stewart is saying, and not James Stewart from television, this guy was a missionary. He said that it's, World evangelization is not a hobby for a few fervent believers. It's not something that can be tacked on to you as a Christian as optional. As, you know what, you're saved, you're going to heaven. If you find some spare time throughout the week, would you care to just mention? If not, don't bother. You know, you're not going to be judged on that. Do you understand that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says that we are going to be judged based on how we operate after we're saved. We're not going to the judgment, the white seat, the white throne, uh, the, the great white throne of judgment. I'm not going to appear before the Father to be judged whether I'm saved or not. But, After we're saved, we receive the white garments of Christ. We're saved. We're blood bought. We're blood washed. We don't have to earn anything after after you're saved. Jesus paid it all. However, how we operate, how we act, what we do after we have obtained salvation, the Bible says will determine how we spend our eternity in heaven. There's different levels of reward that heaven has to offer. In in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, let me read this. 1 Corinthians, and chapter, actually it's 2 Corinthians, chapter 2. 2 Corinthians, chapter, chapter 3, sorry. No, it was 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, and verse, verse 9. We are God's fellow workers, the Bible says. Well, you know, how many of you know God doesn't need us to get his work done He's all they need. If if God wants them saved, they'll get saved. That's not what Paul taught. Paul said we are God's fellow workers. I want you to write that in the comment section. I am God's fellow worker. I am God's fellow worker. I am God's fellow worker. That's right. That whole religious garbage of God doesn't need me. God absolutely needs you. Heaven's calling people. Why? Because angels aren't commissioned to preach the gospel. Angels don't have the task of preaching the gospel. The Bible says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to help those that do preach the gospel. You can read that in Hebrews 1. When God wanted to reach Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10, he didn't send an angel to preach the gospel to Cornelius. He sent an angel to tell Cornelius... To, to, to fetch for Peter who from his mouth there would be words that would have him and his household saved. So if angels were commissioned with this great and noble task of winning the loss, then why didn't God just send the angel to Cornelius to tell him the gospel message and that was it? Why did he especially send him with a mandate to fetch for Peter? So that Peter can then come and tell him words by which he and his household would be saved. So you, God absolutely needs people in Romans 10. The Bible says, how can they be saved unless they believe? And he says, how can they believe unless they hear? And Paul says, how can they hear unless there's a preacher? And how can there be a preacher unless someone goes Therefore, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news and bring forth good, uh, good news great, of great taggings. So Paul says, how can they call on Jesus unless they, unless they hear? How can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can someone tell them tell them? unless God sends an angel? No, not unless God sends an angel. Unless someone hears the master calling him to go. So we are fellow workers. Paul didn't spend his entire life going through seas, storm at sea. The Bible says three times he suffered shipwreck. Acts 27 documents one of the times. The Bible says he was whipped by the Jews three times, the 40 lashes minus 1. Why did God Paul go through fastings often? Why did he go through thirstings often? Why did he go and 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 have so many sacrifices to carry this gospel flame to the far-reaching regions, reaching regions of this earth if He could have just stayed home and prayed a prayer and saying, God, we just pray, reach those in Spain, reach those in Italy, reach those in England, reach those in Turkey, reach those in Ephesus, reach those in, if he could have just stayed home and done that, you know why? People don't preach the gospel in America very often. A lot, of, a lot of Christians don't feel that call or that tug. It's because the call of God is not much preached on the pulpits of America and Canada. We're preached this lollipop religion. We're preached this, uh, this, this, this no sacrifice, this sit at home and be comfortable religion. That God is your servant and not the opposite, opposite and the other way around. We're preached this whole counterfeit garbage, this watered down message. Whereas Jesus preached, oh, you want to follow me? Then you have to first take up your cross pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Whoever loves this life, whoever's trying to build his kingdom on the earth, whoever has no interest in the heavenly call, he's going to lose it. But whoever loses his life to answer the heavenly call, he will find life. That's why Paul said, nothing in life appeals to me anymore. Acts 20:24. 20, this was my Bible college verse. Nothing, nothing in this life moves me so that I can solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, nothing moves me on this earth. I'm not moved by the opinions of men. I'm not moved by the comfort of Netflix. I'm not moved by these things that, tr- that the devil's using to lull people to sleep. He said, nothing in this life moves me so that I can finish my course with joy and solemnly testify of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, he said, I have a debt, a great debt that I feel in my spirit, both to preach the gospel to Jews and to Gentiles, to barbarians and to wise men alike. He said, as much as is in me, I will preach. He said, woe is me if I do not preach. Paul said, I can't stay at home. He, Jeremiah said it this way. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't keep it. I can't hold it in. I've got to tell the people. I've got to let them know. You know, it, it, there's a missionary that said, I think it was, um, uh, what's his name? Os- Oswald Chambers. Not Oswald Chambers. Let me Let me get... The, the specific quote, this is what he said. Oswald J. Smith. he said, We talk about the second coming all the time. When the half the world has never even heard about the first coming, we love to talk about the second coming. Oh, what a glorious day it'll be. But what about telling other people about his first coming, what he did, what it means, and how they can now be set free from the curse of sin as a result of it? Paul says, and going back to my original thought here, in that we're going to be judged as to what we do with the gospel after we're saved, that don't think because you're a Christian we don't have to submit to any judgment. Bible says this, that verse 12, now if anyone builds, he's talking to Christians, if anybody builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, every man's work will become clear, for the day will reveal it by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what kind it is. If any man's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So Paul's talking to people that are saved, but he said because they built on on the foundation of the gospel with wood. They built on their own temporal thing. They didn't give heed to the heavenly call. They didn't grab on to the heavenly assignment. They were too enamored by the cares of this life. He says, they may make heaven, but I'm telling you, their work's gonna be fire, burnt. Why do you think Jesus is gonna have to wipe away every tear when we get there? It's not because we're going to be crying, oh, it was so bad, Jesus. This was so bad. I I couldn't stand it. That's not why the tears are going to be wiped away. I believe that God's going to have to wipe away every tear because we're going to look back. And many people are going to say, I missed it. I missed it. I lived 90 years, 80 years. And I, I worked for 60 years at my job and I worked nine to five. I did overtime only so that I could buy that boat, only so that I can retire well. I never gave thought to sowing into the gospel. I never gave thought in actually telling my workers about Christ. I never. Gave, I was so enamored and concerned with my earthly reward. I never gave thought to the reward in heaven who, by the way, moths cannot destroy, rust cannot eat up, and thieves do not break in and steal. And the Bible says, many will weep on that day and say, "Man, there's no going back. It's one life to live. Twill soon be past, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. Will last. So don't wait till eternity's morning. Store up for yourselves here on earth treasures in heaven. Life is the time that God gives an individual to repent and be saved, and then store up their heavenly reward. And if you don't think heavenly rewards are real, then you don't know the New Testament. Because Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, speaking to Christians, I might add, he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant. To him who overcomes, I will give him. To him who overcomes, I will grant. And you constantly read about these rewards that Jesus will give the overcomers heaven is a home of overcomers and I don't want to just overcome sin because of the gospel I want to overcome laziness and bring the gospel to others I want to endure to the end I want to be the ma- the servant whom when my master will come he will find me working he's not going to find me sitting idle he's not going to find me sitting back he's not going to find me twiddling my thumbs he's going to find me with my hand put to the plow evangelism and running and moving with all all my might in faithfulness so that when I stand before him I'm not going to hear you wicked and slothful servant. I'm going to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your heavenly reward. And you know what I'm going to do? I'll take that crown off and throw it at his feet. And I'll say what I did was by your grace alone. What I did was by your power alone. What I did was by your spirit alone. I'm nothing without Jesus. And I believe that's going to be your story. I believe the grace of God has drawn into this broadcast so that You won't live this purposeless, stagnant, boring, dull Christianity. It's soul winning that makes Christianity exciting. It's soul winning in evangelism that makes Christianity thrilling. It's what makes it uh, uh, attractive, attractive. You want to know why people are bored in church? Because you're not giving them soul-winning outreaches. There's so many pastors who never give thought to this. That's why they're bored. They're bored. There's no fire. God's not obliged to put fire on anything that doesn't have the, 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 the great commission and the goal of world evangelization in its mind and as its priority, its top priority. You know, as a church as a church, as a ministry, I should say rather. I, we, we give to the hungry. We give to feeding programs. We, we, we do that. We help. We sow into churches to build buildings and all that stuff. We, we help people. We sow into, we're doing a crusade Saturday uh, where we're going to be feeding a bunch of people. We do that. But the great task of every Christian and ministry in particular is not to make sure people have socks on their feet and a roof over their head. Those things are good. Don't leave this broadcast thinking, you know, t- evangelist T.J. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about meeting the needs of people. And I don't think that's right because Paul, you know, the Bible talks about Paul reminding the people that they should uh, they should be concerned with the cares of the poor and all that. And he doesn't. T- no, I, I, you be concerned. We are concerned. We we fed I think 120 children last year. Between 80 and 120, I'm not sure what the number is. 120 children last year every single day because uh, of, of what we sow as a ministry. So I'm not saying those things aren't important. All I'm saying is that the number one priority of the church is the Great Commission. A person's last words are very important. Whenever, you know, I was reading a book before and he was documenting about a plane that went down in Germany. It crashed. And in the plane crash... When they, when they got all the, the residue and all that, they were able to recover the, the audio recording in the final moments of the plane going down. And they played it. And everybody had something to say. They even recovered notebooks with letters and notes to their loved ones as their final words. They had about 10 to 15 minutes from the moment that the engine blew to the moment they hit the ground and many of them penned down their final words which would be the most important things they want to say before they entered into eternity. Do you know what Jesus' final words before he ascended on high and would no longer visibly appear to his disciples from that moment onward? His final words were not go and be a doctor and attend to the people through medical science. His final words were not build orphanages around the earth. His final words were not not, you should go out and build hospitals and education centers and universities. Those things are good. And the church should 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 be at the front, the forefront in, in building those this, those establishments. We should be providing and taking care of widows and orphans. James 1 instructs us with that. However, Jesus' final words were not build an orphanage. It was now go into all the world and preach the gospel of salvation and they that believe shall be saved. And these signs, I'm going to equip you to get it done. These signs will follow you as you go. The sick shall recover the demons shall come out of those that are possessed And there shall be great joy in that city His final words were Go ye therefore and tell the people Tell them Tell them about what I did Tell them about my love for them Tell them that i am not forgotten them Nor forsaken them So a person's last words are very important And Jesus' last words were very targeted No matter what gospel you read They're all the same Go ye therefore into all the world So that shows you how, how, what heaven's priority is. And I'll tell you something, any church or any Christian that does not have evangelism as their number one priority in life have forfeited God's provision. Because God's not obliged to provide for anything or anyone that has not put his hand to the plow of evangelism. I'll go a step further as a ministry. If you're a ministry and you call yourself a ministry and you don't win the loss, you have forfeited your biblical right to exist. You have forfeited your biblical right to exist. Psalm 28. It's a very, very sobering psalm. Listen to what Psalm 28 says. Verse five. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. They don't care about what God wants to do on the earth. God will destroy them and not build them up. God will destroy them and not build them up. Because they don't care about the Great Commission as a church. God has no... God's, God. If you're not building what God's building, the Bible says you build in vain. You build in vain. He that labors... The Bible says, unless the Lord labors on the house, you labor in vain. And God is laboring. He said, I will build my church. And the church is not just a a building, although we need buildings. The church is getting people, reaching the lost at any cost. So let me go through very quickly seven biblical motivations to soul winning. Seven things that motivate me to do what I do and I believe are gonna motivate you today. Number one, Hell is real. Luke chapter 16. Hell is not a fictional place. Hell is not a fairy tale. Hell is not a scare tactic. That's not real. Like there's a guy who wrote a book called Love Wins that at the end of time, God's going to step back and say, hey guys, I was just kidding. Hell's not real. It was all just a tactic to get you to love me. That's not, that's not going to be the story. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, That there's going to be a day where the books will be opened and every man's name who's not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire where the devil is, the false prophet and the beast. And they shall burn there for eternity, the scripture says, with a fire that does not go out, a fire that can't be quenched, a lake of fire. Luke chapter 16 Jesus tells a story, a real story. This ain't a parable. He said there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He lived a good life. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his wounds. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. There's no such thing as soul sleep. There's no such thing as rest in peace. You're either going to rest You're either going to be alive in the presence of Jesus or you're going to be alive in the presence of a fire that cannot be quenched. The Bible says Jesus talking about hell, which, by the way, Jesus spoke more on hell than he spoke on any other subject in the Bible. Hell is a real place. That's why we take time to preach the gospel, because hell's too hot. Heaven's too good. Eternity's too long. And the gospel is too real to allow people to go there. Jesus spoke on hell. He didn't talk about it as a rock star party. He didn't talk about it as some place where people will be able to party in their sin and get drunk the rest of eternity. But they're not going to have what heaven has. But they'll have their own party. It just won't be quite as good as heaven. That's not what hell is like. He said that there is a flame that can never go out. A fire that never burns out and not a fictional fire, not a symbolic fire, an actual fire. And then he said there's a a worm that is like a maggot that eats away at the flesh for eternity. It's like your flesh, because you have a spiritual body now, it it doesn't go away, it doesn't leave, your flesh will remain for eternity, but the maggot that chews away at the flesh will remain for eternity, constantly gnawing at you, and then it says that there is a darkness that can even be felt, hell is not a place of partying and wild rock star hangouts, you know, my uh, evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, he gives a story once where he was around some bikers and they were like a gang of bikers, and he was he was evangelizing to them. And one of them peeped up and said, you know what? I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell, because that's where all my friends will be. I want to go to hell, because that's where I'm going to party with my friends. And then evangelist Tiff took out a lighter, and he he said, that, well, he actually said, does any of you have a lighter here? He said, one of them said, yeah. He grabbed the lighter and put it under the, ar- the guy's arm, and it burnt him. He said, ow! Ow! He reached out, well, what would you do that for? He said, I don't think you're going to do too good in hell for eternity. Because there's a real flame. It's not a symbol the Bible says there is a worm that does not die and a flame that does not go out and the thing is is that God didn't prepare that place of torment for you to go there it was for the devil and his demons that rebelled against God but there is a place called heaven for you John 14 I'm going to prepare a place for you Jesus said if I was lying I wouldn't tell you but now I'm going so that where I am I can receive you to myself heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people and at the end of this broadcast i want to give you an invitation so that you can prepare yourself so you don't have to go to a sinner's hell you can go to heaven today you can have your name written in the lamb's book of life today you can settle your account with god today and make sure that you know you that you know you can put your head to the pillow tonight and have peace with god and if jesus were to come back today you would spend eternity with him in a in a blissful pleasure of peace, love, joy, prosperity untold. That'll never end. So back to Luke 16. The rich man was carried away. The poor man was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. But the rich man died and was buried. And the rich man, there's no annihilism, annihilationism. Which teaches that if you get saved, you'll go to heaven. But if you reject Christ, you'll just cease to exist. That is a lie from the pit of hell to render people immobile, ineffective, and have no urgency to actually tell people about Jesus. That's the devil trying to snuff out the evangelistic flame of the church. Bible doesn't say he entered into soul sleep. The Bible says in being in torment, in torment. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and said, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented because of this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he's being, uh, he's being comforted, and you are being tormented. And beside all this, there is between you and I a great gulf fix, a separation that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, and those who want to pass from there to us cannot. And he said, I beg you, therefore... Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that they may, he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. There's two cries in hell. There's two major cries in hell. Two cries for relief. Number one is the cry for relief from torment. The the Bible says the rich man being in torment cried out and he asked for Lazarus who by the way when he saw Lazarus on the earth he was full of sores. He was full of wounds. He was totally neglected. He ignored him. He looked like a a, a reject of society. He looked diseased. He had open sores and ooze coming out of it. The dogs were licking him as he would sleep. Nothing to be desired. Didn't want to be 10 feet from that guy. The scriptures now being in, says that he was in Hades in torment in the flame and that same person that he wouldn't bat an eye at, he then cries out to Abraham saying, can he at least dip his finger That old, dirty, wounded, full of sore finger, if he could just dip it in some water and put it on my tongue, I don't care about the wounds anymore. I just want some form of temporary relief because of the flame that is burning away at my body. And he said, I can't do it. There's no way to get someone from here to you. There's two ways. That God has given man an out in times of extreme pain. When someone suffers extreme pain, there's two ways out. One is they pass out. Somebody could just pass out. They go into shock and their body just gives out. They pass out. They're still alive, but their body is in shock. That's one way. That's a mercy God has given people that if they're in extreme pain, they can just go into shock. Their body will just pass out and they won't feel the pain. Two is death. That Death is actually a mercy for some people. If you just burnt forever, that ain't good. A lot of the martyrs that were put to the stake and burnt alive, death was the mercy. They got out of it. There No more pain, no more sighing, no more crying, no more dying in heaven now. Death is a mercy. In heaven, uh, in hell rather, in hell, there are a million ways in, but there is not one way out. The time of mercy is now. When Noah was preaching, a flood was coming. The moment that ark door closed, that was it. The time of God's patience, mercy, and grace ended. I heard a preacher say the other day, and I, it's such garbage. He said, "You can't, there, you can't out grace, you can't out sin God's grace. You can't out sin God's grace." What a lie! If you keep on sinning and don't repent, you're going to out sin God's grace. I heard a preacher say that on the other side of the ark, I would love to see it because I guarantee you that there's nail prints and scratches of those who out God's grace, who refused to heed Noah's warning, who refused to heed the warning that a flood was coming. Well, there's not a flood coming, there's fire coming. The Bible says the present heavens and earth will be destroyed with a fire And the Bible says the elements of this earth, all those things you worked up to obtain, all those things you worked overtime to get, that nice house, that nice car, it'll be burnt by fire. And then we will stand before God. And the scripture says in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust will awake. Some will awake to everlasting life and some to a shame and everlasting contempt. John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the grace will hear the voice of Jesus and come forth. And those who have done good and have received Christ to the resurrection of life. But those who have done evil in rejecting Christ to the resurrection of condemnation. We are all going to live forever. Some will end up holy. Some will end up hot. But I'm here to warn you today. Get right with God. Get rid of sin. Before sin gets rid of you. And then my second point, on this is if this doesn't put in you an evangelistic fervor or a desire to warn people lest they also go to that place of torment then you need to get saved because something hasn't clicked there's not genuine faith in you because if we're going to believe everything the bible says we have to also include include this part This isn't pick and choose our favorite eight scriptures, the nice flower and daisy ones, the ones where it tells me God wants me blessed, God wants to prosper me, God wants to increase me. Yes, I believe that. But we cannot shrink back from declaring the full counsel of the word of God, including the reality of hell. So there's two cries in hell. One, cry for relief. And two, he said, I beg you, you would send him to my father's house. There's a cry for evangelism in hell and I've made up my mind, I'm not gonna let my passion and desire to see people saved be outshined and outweighed by the passion there is in hell for people to be saved and not go to that place of torment. Could it be that there are people in hell that have greater evangelistic fervor and zeal than we on this earth, the church of Christ, who actually has the power to do something about it? Hallelujah. God is mobilizing you today. I heard a preacher say it this way. He said, if you give me 10 preach or 100 preachers and have them, and, and, and I pray that God would give them 10 minutes of vision of hell, then I could dispatch an army. I just need 100 people. I can dispatch an army of 100 evangelists that would reach our generation for Christ within no time. We look at a lost dying world on a conveyor belt which has a dip at the end of it. And on the other end of that dip there's a lake of fire and there's fire and smoke and the cries and wails of humanity rising. 150,000 people die every single day. And Jesus said, many are they to go to destruction. Which means unfortunately, and it pays me to say this, there are more people going to hell than there are going to heaven. It doesn't have to stay that way. And when you look at people and you're spending, you have 45 minutes to spend with one person and you don't bring up Jesus. You have signaled to heaven, I'm okay with them going there. I've made my peace with it. I don't really care for it. I bought, I, I, I bought a, a couch recently, so I sold my old couch. And a guy came to buy it. And uh, he spent 30 minutes there. We had to disassemble it. I could have easily have just, you know, talked about sports could have talked about the weather. Could have gone into some mundane, non-important uh, conversation. And that guy would have left never hearing about Jesus. Instead, I spent the entire time telling about what Jesus did for me. Telling about how Jesus can do the same for you. I prayed with him at the end. He knows the gospel. He It's not my job for him to receive Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to convict. My job is to tell them the message and do everything by the anointing to to. To, to, to persuade him to Christ however it's up to him Jesus couldn't Jesus will not superimpose himself on the will of men Jesus will let people we have freedom of choice God gave the Israelites choice to serve him he said I set before you blessing and cursing I set before you life and death all that you would choose life the gospel message is that Jesus came died rose again all that you would choose life so it's not my job to make him choose my job is to share the message of Christ so I prayed with him at the end. And I'm going to pray for, continue praying for him. But I, I, I remain faithful in my mandate, my task, to tell him about Jesus. So hell's a real place. And that should motivate you enough to not let people go there. Number two, biblical motivation. Health and Healing are part of heaven's benefit system for those who work for it. Health and healing. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 17, let me read it. Proverbs 13, 17. 13, 17, listen to this. A wicked messenger falls into trouble. So a messenger that's not faithful to the message, they always have trouble. I'm telling you, you look at people that are general soul winners. I mean, they are winning souls everywhere. They they might experience trouble, But God always bails them out quickly. You look at people that don't win souls, people that don't make evangelism, their life work. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm saying if you're a business owner, your priority for making money in the business should be to win the loss. Your priority, whenever you have business engagements, when you have an audience and a crowd, it's it's to share Christ. When you make it that, that, your priority Whatever trouble you get into, God will bail you out. And I've noticed people that have no care or concern to tell people about Jesus, people that aren't soul winners, they're always battling something. They're always battling something. Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else you're battling with, God will take care of you in that area. But when you don't seek first the kingdom of God, then everything else you battle in, you have to assume the trouble. You have to assume the responsibility. But when you assume the responsibility of heaven's agenda on the earth, God will assume responsibility over your agenda in getting your your work done and caring for your concerns and your worries and your troubles trouble delight yourself in the lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart so proverbs 13:17 and what's one of the main troubles people have health trouble proverbs 13:17 a wicked messenger falls into trouble but a faithful ambassador brings health king james version says is health is health a faithful ambassador, remember, you are an ambassador for God on the earth. You are an ambassador for God on the earth. You are a heaven's ambassador. And the Bible says, and a good ambassador is health. When you make it your work to minister God's power to others by preaching the gospel, well, who gets the taste of that power first? When you turn a faucet on, who gets the taste of the water first? The faucet, the pipes. That ushers in the water to the cup. But when you tell people about Jesus, you get to f- taste of the power of God first, of God's quickening spirit first. Remember Romans 8 11. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He will quicken your mortal body. So when you open your mouth to speak the gospel, the Holy Ghost will first quicken you. There's a health effect, a health benefit tied to those that minister the gospel. And I want to remind you, God has no business you being sick. Think of it as an employer. Do you benefit when all your employees call in sick? No, no work gets done. Well, God's our employer. God is the boss. He's the CEO of the church. And he certainly does not benefit when all his employees are sick. So he keeps his servants supernaturally sound and strong so that the work can continue to go. And, you know, there's very few people that answer the call to evangelism. It's not like there's everybody knocking on the door asking to be used by God. Many people are selfish. Many Christians are selfish, have no desire to do anything for God. And so the few that actually work and put their hand to the plow, God desires to keep them supernaturally sound. Exodus, 15, um, Exodus 23, 25. If you will serve the Lord your God, which when you win souls, that's how you serve God. I want to remind you of something. Serving God is not going to church. Serving God is not volunteering at the soup kitchen. Serving God is not uh is not just you know being on the the worship team that's a a a a level of it but that's not how you serve god that's not the, the the fullness of what it means to serve god serving god is putting your hand to the plow picking up the cross the cross is not sickness disease the cross is not depression anxiety the cross is the faithful responsibility that we hold to the proclamation of the gospel message That's what the cross is. That's the cross. And so Exodus 23 says, if you'll serve God, pick up your cross and follow him. He'll, the Bible says, bless your bread and water. And he will take sickness out of the midst of you. He'll take sickness out of your midst. Heaven, you know, when you work for a company, you have health benefits. So that if you get sick or whatever, you have to go to the hospital and they treat you. The company, the health, uh, the health benefits might you know, supply anywhere between 50 to 100% of whatever it costs to treat you for surgery or whatever it costs to treat you. Well, heaven has a benefit system. The only difference is, is that we don't have to go to a doctor, get treated, and then show God the bill, and he'll pay for it. We go straight and directly to the great physician And heaven's medical officer, chief medical officer, who is Jesus, the great physician, he heals you, and he does it for free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 103, David, a servant of the Lord. David served his generation. The Bible says in Acts 13, David said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit of destruction and crowns us with steadfast love and compassion. When you serve God, you have access to heaven's doctor and heaven's medical system. And the medical system of heaven isn't just, I'll heal you when you get sick. It's I'll put a supernatural force field of the anointing around you so that whatever disease or virus is in this world, whatever the cancer rate is, it will never have an ability to get into your system, into your body. You'll be supernaturally strong, the Bible says, even into old age, you'll be fresh and flourishing hallelujah number two leading to my next point long fruitful life is the portion of soul winners you look at billy graham 99 years old he went home to be with jesus he had tried to die for the last five years of his life he couldn't die he made his life work evangelism crusade evangelism won souls everywhere he went personally and corporately he lived to 99 years old and at 96 years old it wasn't like he was 96 and they still have to wipe the applesauce off his face 96 years old he does a television show called um my My last message to america and he preaches the gospel and in that in that airtime that he had on like ABC. He had like massive networks covering it. They want like thousands of people to Jesus. At 96 years old, he had his biggest gospel crusade. That message translated in many languages of the world, being transmitted to this day, continuously winning people to the Lord. His gospel crusades on YouTube, his timeless messages, continuously winning people to the Lord. But at 96 years old, going back to longevity for the soul winner, at 96 years old he is strong he is flourishing you know let me read this in psalm 92 psalm 92 i don't know about you but i don't want to i don't want to you know the bible says with long life i'll satisfy you i don't want to just have a long life but i'm in a, a residence somewhere and i only get people visiting me once every six months or something and it's my grandchildren and i'm confined to a bed I don't want to be 90 years old doing that. Oral Roberts was 94 years old when he died. At 92, I saw the message of him when he was 92 at ORU, teaching Jesus out of every book of the Bible. How in Genesis, he's creator. In Exodus, he's the Passover uh, lamb. In Leviticus, he's the law. In Numbers, he's the brazen serpent. In Deuteronomy, he's, hes I don't know what he was in Deuteronomy, but he just goes through Jesus in every single book of the Bible. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. And he did it verbatim from memory. At 92. You have some 92-year-olds who don't even remember their name. That's certainly not God's plan. When you... So when God will supernaturally preserve you so that even in old age, Psalm 92 says, listen to this, my horn, my strength, you will exalt like a wild ox. Notice how it doesn't say, my strength will be exalted like a failing cow. No, like a wild ox. You ever see a wild ox? Like a raging bull, a strong, a strength to you by the anointing. But when everyone else is saying, how many of you know at 60 years old, your ears don't quite work as much. How many of you know your knees, they start to buckle when you hit a certain age. No, not for us. We're kingdom people. We have kingdom agenda. We're kingdom minded. We go by kingdom blessing. We have kingdom benefits. We operate by kingdom rules my horn you've exalted like a wild ox I've been anointed with fresh oil I've seen my desire on my enemies and my ear has heard his desire on the wicked who rise up against me, verse 12 the righteous will flourish like a palm tree and he'll grow strong like a cedar in Lebanon, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God, hallelujah they will still bear fruit in old age, hallelujah as my strength is or as my days are so shall my strength be, as your days are so shall your strength be. Caleb was 85 years old and he said give me this mountain so that I can go and fight in battle to possess it. He wasn't 85 and he's saying hey guys you go on ahead of me my back's giving out. Man those pain medications aren't quite working anymore. No at 85 years old he said I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40 both to fight and go into battle as your days are so shall your strength be as you put your hand to the plow of Evangelism, as you sow your strength of your youth in the work of winning the lost at any cost, God is going to sow His strength into your old age so that you'll still be flourishing. You know what flourishing means? It means the opposite of withering up. You're not going to wither up in relevancy. You're not going to wither up in how you can relate to your generation. Billy Graham, he had people, young people, flying over all over the world at 97, 96 to meet with them so that they can lay, he can have his hand Lay on them one more time. I'm telling you, when you are a bona fide soul winner, the older you get, you're like a fine wine. The more relevant you are, the more tasty you are to your generation, the more value people see in you. You're not like, I mean, you think of it, a hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, nothing's going to matter except for the souls that you brought to the feet of Jesus. A hundred years from now, I'll tell you something. Nobody's gonna know about Avril Lavigne. A hundred years from now, nobody's gonna remember Snoop Dogg. A hundred years from now, nobody's gonna remember, uh, you know, your favorite actor, Brad Pitt, George Clooney. They're not gonna remember any of those guys. But you know what will? You know who who remains in everlasting memory? Soul winners, we still talk about Charles Finney. We still talk about George Whitfield. We still talk about Smith Wigglesworth. We still talk about Billy Graham. We still talk about Jonathan Edwards. We still talk about these great men and women of God that lived throughout history in Bible history that won people to the Lord. I'm telling you, as you grow older, as a soul winner, you actually become more relevant. So you're not withering up. You're not winding down. You wind up. Moses was 120 years old, his eyes did not grow dim, and his ears, his natural strength was not weakened. When you're constantly being used as a vessel to pour out God's spirit and life into others, the Holy Spirit has a quickening effect on you. Remember, there's no there's no aging in the presence of God. So when you're winning souls, Jesus said, I am the what did he say? I am the good shepherd, right? I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, what is he, where is he? So where's the presence of the good shepherd? He leaves the 99 to go and find the one. That's soul winning. So when you're out finding the one, you're in the presence of the good shepherd. And in the presence of Jesus, by, it's very clear, there's no aging. You don't age the same way. In the presence of the glory, there's no aging. You'll look better. You'll look good. You won't wrinkle as quickly as other people wrinkle have an effect on you. Psalm, Psalm 91, point number four, biblical motivation is divine protection. Psalm 91 says, those who set their love on me, which remember, Jesus said in John fourteen twenty one, those who love me, keep my commandments. And what's the greatest commandment? Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. So Psalm 91 is for those that are preaching the gospel. And he said, no evil will befall you, nor plague come near your tent. He'll give his angels charge concerning you to guard you up and bear you up in all your ways lest you dash your foot against a stone. You have angels all around you when you're out winning the loss. You're heavily guarded. You're divinely protected. You're supernaturally kept and preserved by the power of God. While Jesus was on the earth fulfilling his mission, they tried to stone him. They couldn't. He passed right through the midst of them and passed on. Acts, uh, you read the book of Acts, Paul's missionary journeys. All the times they wanted to kill him, they couldn't kill him. Jesus always delivered. He said, The Lord delivered me out of them all. There is supernatural protection against all your enemies when you're on a mission for God. Deuteronomy 28 your enemies will rise up one way, but they'll be defeated before your face and they'll be scattered seven ways. Number five, biblical motivation, divine provision. The Lord is my shepherd, the Bible says, I will not lack. So only when you're following the good shepherd of the sheep, which we said, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. Where is the good shepherd? He's going after the one. So when the Lord is your shepherd, it means you're following him after the one, seeking to save that which was lost. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' full mission on earth, and what he still is obsessed by, is reaching the one at any cost. When the Lord is your shepherd and you follow him into the harvest fields, you will not lack, I prophesy in the name of Jesus, as you give yourself to the work of evangelism, as you seek first the kingdom of God and the establishment of that kingdom work on the earth, you will never lack. You will never run dry. You'll always have more than enough. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You will operate from overflow and not from a place of lack, penury, and and, um, impoverishment. You will enjoy divine prosperity in Jesus' name. You'll have an abundance for every good work that Jesus calls you to do. You'll never be a beggar's project looking for money to do what God's called you to do. You, if you have your heart knitted with the great commission, God will always supply more than enough to get that work done. Bible says, when Jesus sent out the disciples, they returned and he said, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? Luke twenty-two thirty. No, we didn't lack anything. And Thomas was there. Thomas, the doubter. So if they did lack something, and they were just saying that in faith, he would—they would. Thomas would have peeped up and said, no, "No, no, we lacked. We had it hard. It was hard out there. We were impoverished. We barely ate sometimes." Matter. Thomas was in the group, and he said, "We didn't lack anything." The realm of no lack is accessible only by those that heed to the Great Commission. Number five is. Uh, divine provision. Number six, reason. Biblical motivation as to why we win souls. It's commanded. We win souls because it's commanded. The great commission is actually better translated, the great commandment. The great commandment. It's not an option. It's not if you see fit. It's not a suggestion. It's not the great hobby. It is the great commission. It is the great commission. Jesus Jesus commanded us to do it. I want to read a quote in this book I have here by Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a commandment to be obeyed. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a commandment to be obeyed. Keith Green said, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. Lester Sumrall said he had a vision once, and he, uh, he saw, it was like an open vision. Thought, he didn't think it was a vision at the, at the point, but later on he, he knew it was a vision. But in that vision... He saw people from every nation and tribe on a conveyor belt falling over into a lake of fire. And he began to look over and he saw, he said, I smelt the smell of flesh. And I began to cry out, God, do something about it. God, uh, do something about this. Don't let them go there. And the Lord said, you have to go and tell them. And he said, no, you go. You do something about it. And he said, as I said that, it was like blood began to gush out of my hands. And he said, Lord, make it stop. Make it stop. Freak them out. And he said, I can't. For if you don't go, their blood shall be required at your hands. Not even realizing at the time that God was actually directly quoting Ezekiel 3. God spoke to Ezekiel. If I tell you to go and warn the wicked and you don't go, their blood will be required at your hands. Their blood will be required at your hands. You know, when someone is, you have some nutcase, go into a shopping mall and shoot up the place and people die. The families of the victims will go to court And they will do what? They want that man's blood or their their lost relative's blood to be required at that man's hands. They want him to be held accountable for it. God will hold us accountable for the people that he told us to witness to and we didn't witness to. So it's not a light thing. It's not a light thing. In court, you have someone that kills someone in the family they wanted to, want to be charged with what? A murder charge. When God's told us to go and warn the wicked and get them saved and we don't do it and they go to hell, we're going to be held accountable with murder charges because of it. Because of it. So we're commanded to go and tell people about Jesus. And the reason why we're commanded and heaven says such a great desire for it is because there's, you know, Don't let TikTok fool you that everyone's life is happy. Don't let Instagram and social media fool you that everyone has these amazing highlights in life. People are hurting. People are bruised, broken. People are suffering at the hands of sin. And as a Christian, not as a preacher, as a Christian, you should carry a hatred for the devil's work in other people's life. I heard a preacher say it this way, Christians get an A plus for loving what is good, but an F in hating what is evil. When you look at people suffering and what sin does through addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, people on the side of the street laid over, knocked out because they overdosed the the night before. And that does nothing for you. Something needs to change. We don't just love what God loves. We hate what what God hates. And for this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy what he hated, the works of the devil. You see someone with cancer on their body, and you just say, I'll keep you in prayer. And you don't tell them about this great physician, how Christ is healer, and how his death, burial, and resurrection paid the price needed for us to enter into health. You don't hate what God hates. We weren't commissioned to keep people in prayer. We pray, but then we, we take what we received in prayer to deliver it to the people in our preaching. The harvest is plentiful. The Bible says he looked to the sheep. They were sheep without shepherds. They stress. stressed. They were under the tyranny of the devil. They were suppressed by the devil's Reign of terror. Jesus was moved with compassion for them. Are you not moved with compassion? He was moved with compassion and he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the sheep are the the, the laborers are, are few. So beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out more labors into his harvest field. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The commandment is go. Number seven. Number seven. Biblical motivation to win souls is Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Second Peter chapter 3. If you haven't had a chance yet to share this broadcast, do help me get this word out by sharing it. Second Peter chapter 3. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but he's being patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the day will come as a thief in a night. Jesus is coming back soon. All the signs that would precede his coming have been fulfilled. The last one was the super sign of Bible prophecy, Israel becoming a nation again. That happened May 14, 1948. There is literally not one thing holding back the return of Jesus except for his patience because he doesn't want anyone to go to a sinner's hell, but he wants all to be saved, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. How many of you, by show of hand emojis, Emojis. if Jesus had come back 10 years ago, you would have split hell wide open. I would have split Hell wide open if Jesus came back 10 years and five months ago. I would have split hell wide open if He had come back 12 years ago. I would not have made it. There's some of you watching right now. If Jesus came back two years ago, you would have gone to hell. If Jesus came back last year, if Jesus came back three months ago, you would have gone to hell. But the patience of God was, the Bible calls it long suffering, meaning He's willing to suffer long because it means people being saved. But there is a timeline, there is a clock. That's running down. We don't have an eternity. Jesus said, We must work while it is yet day, for night cometh when no man can work. My challenge to you today I've tried by the scriptures to biblically motivate you to restructure your priorities, get things into divine alignment, put first things first, activate yourself for the Great Commission. Romans 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, this is my plead with you today. I urge you, don't be enraptured with the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, but rather lay your life on the altar of God as a living holy sacrifice unto God. Be not swayed by the patterns of this world. But conform yourself to the mission of Christ. Just like Isaiah, he heard when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filling the temple, he heard a voice saying, who will go for us? Lay your life on the altar of God. Bind yourself to the altar and say, I will go. I will go. I spoke on hell before. There's too many Christians that are so concerned with their temporary comfort. They don't concern themselves with the eternal discomfort people are going to feel. Say this out loud. I will lay aside my temporary comfort for the sake of others' eternal comfort. I will lay aside my temporary comfort for the sake of others' eternal comfort. And that's the message of soul winning. It's laying, the the Bible says, no greater love than this, than he that lays down his life for his friends. Everybody talks about the love of God. We need to walk in the love of God. You don't even know what the love of God is. The love of God is not hugging someone at an altar. The love of God is not telling someone, we're going to keep you in our thoughts and prayers. This is the love of God. Listen to this. Keep yourself in the love of God, Jude says. Jude 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto everlasting life. And on some have compassion. This is the love of God. Make a distinction. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fires of hell. You want to know the love of God? Brother James says it in James chapter 5. Brethren, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone turns him back... So someone is not right with God. Someone disconnected from heaven. Somebody who's living in sin. And you, you're used by God to turn them back. Let that man know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his, will, his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs says love covers a multitude of sins. Well, how do you love others? By letting that person know. Or turning a sinner from the error of his way. So when you reach sinners with your life and you yield your mouth to be a mouthpiece for heaven, you are covering a multitude of sins. You're walking in love. I want you to write this down in the comment section. I will be a soul winner. I will be a soul winner. Let it be a a, a covenant you make with God today. I'm going to be a soul winner. I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to intentionally do this. I will be a soul winner. For some reason, I lost all my YouTube chat, but let me go on my YouTube. I will be a soul winner. If you're watching now and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to do so right now. You need to do so right now. There's no, I mean, eternity is hanging in the balance right now. This isn't, uh, we, we don't preach on this because we, you know, whether if you accept Christ today, life will get a little better. If you don't, life won't be as fulfilling. That's not the message. The message is you accept Christ, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, you have access now to God's power here on the earth and in eternity in heaven. You reject Christ, and the Bible says there will be a resurrection. You'll live forever, but there's a resurrection of condemnation, there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. Make sure you don't spend eternity in hell. How do you do that? How do you prepare for heaven? Very simple. Admit that you're a sinner in need of God's grace. Believe in the gospel that Jesus rose from the dead and commit your life to Jesus right here and right now. You need to do this right now. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say this from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. I turn to you today. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me by your blood. Fill me with your spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong, and I'm never turning back. I am saved. My sins are forgiven. My name is written in heaven, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to go to salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. Fill out the form on that website. I wanna get something to you free of charge as a way of saying welcome to the family of God. God bless you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook by searching at TJ Maokanji or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.